Okay, y'all, um, I, just to let you know, I'm already missing Jonah. I, am, I was sad this week to not be able to crack open Jonah. Uh, so I thought I would just update you on the election so far uh, of where we're heading next after our Advent season that we're all looking so forward to. Uh, we have two votes for David, so the life of David, two votes for David so far. We have two votes for Proverbs. We have two votes for Isaiah, one vote for Galatians, one vote for Ephesians. So I think I'm only going to take another week. So maybe next week, this week while you're on holiday, send out an email to the church, put down what you want, and I will take this all into consideration. Although America is a democracy, the church is not. So I'm trying to figure that one out. I will take these suggestions and weigh them accordingly. Just so you know, if you are, need to pray like that's, that God changes my mind, I'm leaning towards David. Uh, but I probably, like we did this time, is do two books at the same time. So maybe we go back and forth between Proverbs and David. We'll see. Okay? All right, today's text is asking you and me a very, very blunt question. Uh, incredibly blunt. It's just basically going to say to you and to me this morning and to the church, why should you care about the church? So that's where we're heading, all right? Why should you care about the church? Okay, so Christianity Today wrote an article this year. I was waiting. I was telling someone earlier. I've been waiting now for all the polls and all the surveys and for all the uh, demographic studies. I'm waiting for the results over the past two years. I'm waiting for the research that's done over the past two years. So Christianity Today wrote an article this year, 2022, entitled, Decline of Christianity Shows No Signs of Stopping. So all the pollsters, Barna, Gallup, Pew, uh, the General Social Survey, the Institute of Family Studies, they've all concluded now 50 years of research, 50 years of studying the church. Quote, the current trend is inexorable, inescapable. I had to look that up too. People are giving up on Christianity. Now, this is the first time ever in the history of the United States that church membership has dropped below 50%. First time ever in the history of the United States. Now, when we moved up north in high school, I grew up in Houston. When we moved up north in high school, that was the first time that an area of the country had two generations of people that didn't go to church. That was New England. But now it's everywhere. It's not just two generations, it's three generations moving into four generations. So the first time in the history of the United States, church membership, church attendance has dropped below 50%. Now, this is strange because for 60-some-odd years, it's been in the 70 percentage. In 1999, it was 73%. In 1937, it was 77%. Just consistent. And then, boom, it's like we just dropped off a cliff. It's like the elevator just went all the way to the bottom. Why should you care about the church? So the research shows that kids today that are growing up in the church don't stay in the church. Christianity Today, again, says only half the kids raised Southern Baptist stay Southern Baptist. The biggest factor behind the SBC, Southern Baptist Church's decline, isn't the struggle to gain new converts. It's keeping its own. Now, just in case we think, oh, that's the Baptists, of course. Like the arrogant Presbyterians we are. 
the Gospel Coalition says it's not just the Baptists. The studies now are showing that it's across all traditions, all denominations, evangelical, mainline, Bible church, you name it. Everyone. Quote, as many American pastors can tell you, young people everywhere are unclear on why they need to be a member of a church. Why should you care about the church? Personally, I've been waiting for a very specific demographic and statistic for a very specific group of people, for a very specific call in ministry, as you can imagine. It finally came out. The new 2022 Barna survey reports 42% of current pastors are giving serious consideration to quitting, leaving full-time ministry. That's up. 13% from last year when we were in the middle of a pandemic. This means 42% of already existing churches, so right now, already existing churches, 42% of already existing churches in the United States could be without a pastor next year. I was wondering, like, I knew it. I knew it was happening. I just needed the statistics. I needed to know because there have been three churches in our own presbytery that have been unfilled for over a year. Two of them just got filled. One of them hadn't even received an application or an inquiry from a pastor for over six months. This never happened. Ten years ago, ten years ago, if If a church was looking for a pastor before it even became official, before it even became official, there'd be 10 pastors already applying to that position just because of word of mouth. Why should you care about the church? So what's happening? Well, the top six reasons, according to those 40% in this Barna poll, here are the top six. Number six, you ready? Number six, I'm not optimistic about the future of my church, end quote. Number five, I am unhappy with the effect this role has had on my family. Number four, my church is steadily declining. Number three, political division in my church. Number two, loneliness in ministry. No team, no band of brothers. Loneliness slogging it alone. You don't have a group, a band of brothers, a team of people that are basically like C.S. Lewis saying, bounded together, looking at the same thing, going, what? You too? Nobody to be in the trenches with. Nobody to do ministry with. I can tell you, and I told this to, to a family this morning, there is a phenomenal band of brothers in this church and sisters. What's number one? Stress. The unrelenting stress of it all. Some, the church growth gurus, are calling pastoral ministry now the great resignation. Why should you care about the church? Well, what about the seminaries, though? I mean, what about the future generations of those that are going to preach good news, not good advice? What about the future of people that are going to pastor people, lead the church? What about the future of those that are going to reach and renew as many people as possible, wherever they're called? What about those folks? 
Seminaries, mainline seminaries, evangelical seminaries, reformed seminaries are all experiencing drastic drop in enrollment. Seminary leaders right now are calling it a crisis. I just found this out. Like Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary is selling its campus. Fuller Seminary has been trying to sell its campus for years under unmanageable debt. Church growth guru, this guy, Kerry Newoff, I don't know who he is, but, you know, everyone that, like, appoints themselves as an expert, I'm like, really? He says, the church has struggled through a more chronic gifting shortage for years now. The pandemic only intensified that. Not only is this creating a staffing shortage, more churches vying for fewer leaders, but the quality of candidates is also proving a bit of a challenge. Why should you care about the church? Okay, so what about the culture? Why should the culture care about the church? I mean, church people inherently have some sort of stake in this thing. But what about the culture? Why should the culture care about the church? The Bible says the culture should care about the church. If it doesn't, it does so to its own peril. Because Jesus says the church is the salt and light of the culture, of the world. You know what that means? It means salt means it preserves the culture's dying breakdown. Apart from the church, cultures die. Apart from the church, cultures break down. Apart from the church, cultures fall to pieces, chaos, confusion. Jesus says the church is the light of the culture. That means the culture sits in darkness without the church. It means that if there's any like concentrations of rays of light and life in a culture, it's because of the church. The culture of the United States has greatly benefited from the gospel and the church. I'm not talking about civil religion stuff. I'm not talking about national Christianity, all that stupid stuff. Not talking about confusing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, the city of God and the city of man. I'm just talking about the reality of the gospel in the church in America has greatly benefited this culture. The church being the salt and light in the culture is why the Institute of Family Studies and other sociological think tanks are worried. They're saying empty pews are an American public health crisis. In other words, there will only be more anxiety, more depression, more mental illness, more disconnection, more isolation, more feelings of unreality in people because of a decline in the pew. Quote, moreover, Americans who attend religious services frequently are more likely to be married and have children. A decline in religious service attendance not only has the potential to negatively affect public health, but also family stability and population growth in America. Why should you care about the church? Apparently, 1 Peter, our text today, is incredibly relevant. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. As you know, I frequently will also teach as we read this, so there will be some spots here. Verse 4, as you, the you is plural. So the you is Christians. So the you is the church. 
Got it? As you come to him, who is the him? Those of you that are just joining us, if you remember in Peter, uh, we've already known that the him is the seed. The seed that carries divine life and divine power in it. The him is the gospel, the good news. We also know that the him is the milk. The goodness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy and love of Jesus, the work of Jesus, that that milk nourishes, makes healthy Christians, makes healthy churches. So that's what we know so far. As you come to the seed, as you come to the milk, now we're given a new metaphor, a living stone. So right away, my preaching professor is wrong. You can have three illustrations in a row if you want. So there, I think I'll write him a letter, an email, just like I get. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, precious. You yourselves, like living stones, image number four, by the way, are being built up as a spiritual house or spiritual temple, image number five, so that's five in a row, to be a royal priesthood, we're at six, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, seven if you're counting. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Eight. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, nine, and a rock of offense, ten. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined or appointed to do. In other words, the point of this passage, it seems like a scary passage, doesn't it? It just means that God's in control of everything, even, even our unbelief and stumbling, meaning he lets us get what we want. He leaves us to want to disbelieve, to want to trust ourselves. He leaves us to the stumbling that that occurs. That's all that that means. Uh, Verse 9, but you, plural Christians, the church, what is the church? are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies or proclaim his mighty deeds. What is the church? It's like, man, you get to do this. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we thank you that you are here in your church. So Lord, help us work through this. Uh, Give clarity to our minds. Make it real in our hearts. And Lord... May we go to church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so why should you care about the church? So if you haven't come back to church since COVID, why should you care? If you just don't see the need, why should you care? Uh, If you've de-churched yourself recently for reasons that you know of, they're yours, why should you care? If you grew up in the church, but now you don't go to church, you keep saying to yourself or you tell yourself over and over again, you know, when I get married, I'll go to church. When I have kids, I'll go back to church. Why should you care about the church? If you've given up on the institutional church, 
Not God, not Jesus, not being a Christian, just the church. Why should you care about the church? Look at verse 5. You yourselves, plural again, Christians, the church, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Now in the spiritual house, I want you to see that word, spiritual house. In the original language, it has two meanings, so it's a double entendre. What it means is it, it talks about the people of the house and the place of the house. That's all included. So if I was to take out the image and just say it literally so that you see it and hear it, because I know we can't take 20 images in a row, according to preaching professors, but not according to the Bible, right? So let's take out the image and let's just literally translate it. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a church. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a people and a place. So is the church a people? Yes. Is the church a place? Yes. There are a multiplicity of images and a multiplicity of ideas throughout the Bible that talk about the people of the church and the place of the church. Just to give you a few, the people of the church. The church is a people. You've got new humanity. You've got new creatures. You've got worshipers. You've got image bearers. You've got a new race. You've got even in Peter, strangers and aliens and exiles compared to other people. You've got a new family. You've got sons and daughters and sisters and brothers talking about the people called the church, right? You've got a new marriage of a bride and a groom. Again, people emphasizing the church. You have a body, a body with many parts, one body with many parts talking about the people of the church. You have a new mission. In other words, your priests, your kings, your prophets, your ambassadors, People. Now let's talk about the place. What about the place? The church is a place. You got the image of a new temple, a new garden, a new mountain. You got the image of a new city, a new kingdom, a new culture, a new institution, a new organization, place. You've got a new heavens and a new earth and a new age. So the church is a people in a place. It's not one or the other, it's both. So in one sense, people say, the church isn't a building. Yeah, yeah, technically it's not, but it is a place. The church is on my saint mattress. Why should you care about the church? Reason number one, according to just the verse five, you ready? Because the church is God's idea. It's not your parents' idea. It's not your pastor's idea. It's not Redeemer's idea. It's not your youth minister's idea. It's not that metallic Christian that hurt you idea. It's not the boring, blah, burden giving churches that you've been a part of, it's not their idea. The church is God's idea. All right, so let's look at verse 4. Let's go back to that, verse 4. As you come to him, see that? So this is present tense. So you're coming to Jesus continually. You come to Jesus right now. You come to Jesus whenever you need him. You come to Jesus in season and out of season. You come to Jesus. It means that you can go to him right now, according to this passage. That's what it's saying. Present tense. You can find him right now according to this passage. But what's interesting is where? 
Where can you find him? Where can you go to him? Where can you? You know, we always say, we're all saying, I just don't know where he is. I, where is he? Why isn't he here for me? I'm struggling. And this text is saying, oh, you can go to him. You can find him. Right now. Right now. The question is where, right? Well, so far, you know, it was you could go to the seed, great, the gospel. You could go to the milk, the gospel. But we're given a new place now. Do you see it? A new image has been added. It's not the seed. It's not the milk. It's coming to Jesus as, let's keep going, the living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. In other words, verse 5, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house called the church. So Peter, the Bible, God is saying, go to Jesus at church. Find Jesus at church. Come to Jesus at church. Why should you care about the church? Reason number two, because Jesus shows up at the church. Well, I feel so disconnected from God. I can't find God, Jeff. I'm not growing in my relationship with God. I mean, I pray. I follow no Bible, no breakfast. I work through discipleship manuals. I listen to tons of podcasts. I download tons of great Bible teaching. But I feel disconnected from God. I'm not growing in my relationship with God. And as a result, I feel disconnected from my loved ones. I feel disconnected from my work. I feel disconnected from everything because I feel disconnected from God. God says, go to church. But I don't connect with God at church. That's why I stopped going. The church is boring. Mm hmm. The church is blah. Yeah. The church is a burden giving machine. In other words, you're saying to me, it's, I've, my participation in the church over the years, I've come to one conclusion. The church is incredibly innovative and incredibly creative at giving more burdens, not taking them away. Why should I go to church? And I say to you, from this text, you are absolutely right. If you are at a church that doesn't give you the seed of divine life and divine power that alone reaches you, reaches your family, reaches your loved ones, reaches your kids, renews you, makes you healthy, makes them healthy, if you don't go to a church that makes the milk, the milk of Jesus' goodness, his grace, his worth, his work, central not just an aside, not just a point, central. Like it's what feeds you to taste good. It's what feeds you to nourishes you. It's what makes you a healthy Christian, makes you a healthy home, makes you a healthy church. 
If you don't go to a church like that, don't go to that church. Go to a church that does. Those of you that grew up in church but now don't go to church, I want you to notice what Peter is saying in verse 5. Okay, good. Look up there. See the living stones part? A spiritual house, which is the church in image or metaphor form. Notice that it's plural, living stones. It's not living stone. That would be Jesus. You see what's being said here? You need living stones around you. If you don't have living stones around you, you will feel and experience life like a dead stone. It doesn't mean you're a dead stone, meaning you're not a Christian. But you will feel like you're a dead stone. Your relationships will feel like dead stones. And Jesus is saying, come to me at church. Connect with me at church. Connect with other stones that are becoming living at church. Connect with a meaningful mission at church. Go to church. Why should you care about the church? Discouraged pastor, lonely pastor, stressed pastor. Why should you care about the church? Church without a pastor. Church in conflict and division. Why should you care about the church? Church of good advice, not good news. Why should you care about the church? Church without ministry training and ministry leaders being developed for the next generation. Culture, why should you care about the church? Culture that wants to cancel the church, why should you care about the church? Let's look at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture... In other words, this is so incredible. What Peter's about to do, he's about to say, listen, it stands in Scripture. This means what I'm about to say is not new news. It's old news. Ancient news. It's been around for as long as the Bible's been around. It's written into the very fabric of creation It's written into the very pages of God's word. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, I'm not even preaching on this, but if I was, do you see that will not be put to shame? It's a double negative. By no means ever could you be put to shame. In other words, if we were to preach on this, which I'm not, There is only one place on the planet where there's no shame. And that's at the stone. Every area and every place in the culture and in your life will give you shame. There's only one safe place. So the honor, I mean, we can keep going and preaching, which I'm not. But this is the only place that you're going to get all the honor that you're looking for is at that stone. Do you want honor? Do you want to matter? Do you want to be somebody? It's only there that you're going to get what you're looking for. 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the stone of stumbling rock of events. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what this text is telling us is that there are two builders. Builder number one is God. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone. Builder number two, human effort. The stone that the builders rejected. Notice the builders. It doesn't even say that God's a builder in this text. It just says he did it. But then there are other people in the text that like to build. Builders. This text is saying that you and I are addicted to building. We want to build our own life. We want to lay stones down. We want to deliver. We want to be our own help. We, as the text says, don't trust God's work, the stone. Uh, we trust our own work, which means we reject the stone. So there are two builders, two building projects. All of life boils down to two building projects, two builders. Either God laid the stone or we're trying to lay the stone. And when we're trying to lay the stone, that explains a lot of our franticness. It explains a lot of our stress. It explains a lot of our anxiety. It explains a lot of our exhaustion. It explains a lot of our depression. It explains a lot of our discouragement. It, it explains a lot. It doesn't explain all of it because you will be discouraged, depressed, stressed in this life that has nothing to do with being a builder. It's just this life. Why should you care about the church? Number three, because God builds his church. Not you, not me. I mean, the stories like epic, the stories like, you know, it's in the pages of fables now at Redeemer. But it's worth hearing again because every time I say it, I actually believe it more. I was told I had two years to plant this church, two years, and then it's over, money runs out. So good luck, Jeff. Have fun. Uh, I was doing great till that conversation. Isn't that interesting? I was so fired up to plant the church. I was ready to go to plant the church, and then he had to say that. Like, oh, okay. So I am just a function in your wheelhouse. Got it. Good to know. So I go to the only person I trusted at that point for ministry, and that was Dr. Hannah, and I told him about it, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got two years. I'm taking my whole family down there, and we could be out in two years. Then what am I going to do? He could just see me going, my fist clenching, my jaw tightening. He just listened, listened, and he says, Jeff, do you know what you're going to do? And I go, that's why I'm talking to you, Dr. Hannah. We had that kind of relationship. <laughs> He'd make these weird comments, and I'd be shocked at what he's saying, and I'd be sarcastic. He says, you're going to Waco to see if God will build his church. That's it. You're not building the church. If he does, great. If he doesn't, go into coaching. 
I was going to ask Ray for a job. He didn't know it, but that's my, that, was, that was plan number two when I got here. What if God doesn't build his church in Waco? What if pastors and churches continue to struggle? What if the culture beats down the church? The stone has already been laid down on the church. The stone's already been laid. Jesus died. The stone's already been laid. Jesus rose from the dead. That's why he's called the living stone. Jesus has already done everything that ever needed to be done. It's already done. Go to church because he already won. That's why we go to church. You build your life on that. You build your church on that. You build your marriage on that. You build your parenting on that. You build how you handle the culture on that. And that's why you can be the freest, most confident, most bold, most perhaps. But perhaps, what did, what did she say? What did she say? Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you know the story? Come on. The beauty queen, the Israeli beauty queen. Esther, yeah, what did she say? You know it. Stephen, what did she say? Perhaps, perhaps for such a time as this, that's it. You can actually be like, perhaps for such a time as this, I'm here. Perhaps. Free, courageous, bold, or not. Or not, but he still won. What happens if we as a church, though, learn to build our messy lives, relationships, home, school, work, around the stone? What happens if that happens? Here's what happens. A while ago, I read this book on the battle at Chosun Reservoir in the Korean War. It's one of my favorite books of all time. I mean, I've read tons of books on that kind of reality, and there's ones I gravitate towards, and that one is like at the top. Colby, you just got done reading that. She was asking me, what did you want to read? It's about this young Marine... His position is overrun, but he's not overrun by a bunch of North Korean enemy soldiers. He's overrun by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Chinese soldiers. And so he is being overrun and being swarmed everywhere, and he grabs his rifle, points it at the enemy, pulls the trigger, click, it's jammed. So what does he do? Chaos. Every. Death everywhere, screaming everywhere, the sounds of war everywhere, horrific scenes everywhere. He calmly takes his rifle apart, puts the pieces in his lap, finds where the problem is, and puts it back together. That is what the Bible calls sober-minded. The literal meaning of that means he's not intoxicated 
His thoughts aren't intoxicated. His feelings aren't intoxicated. It means this. To be sober-minded means to be, have your thinking, your feelings, your relationships, your church, your life controlled by the stone. Not by what's going on around you, not by the stuff that swarms inside of you, not by the stuff that swarms outside of you. Go to church. That's what we do. Calmly, courageously, boldly, lovingly, kindly, confidently, ready to make friends and have gospel conversations with everybody. We just go to church. Let me pray for us.